Welcome. You're listening to the Heritage Podcast. To learn more about Heritage, including meeting times and upcoming events, visit us online at www.heritageff.org. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Uh, very, uh, uh, did a wonderful job of teaching about the four friends that came and had taught, uh, and they taught us a valuable lesson of how to persevere in behalf of somebody else. You could actually say that every, every action they took was a step of intercession. Intercession is when you stand in the gap for somebody else, other than, and you are actually exercising your energy, your faith. Uh, you are moving in a direction towards God in behalf of somebody else in hopes that their and, and desire that their life be touched and changed. In, <coughs> in Ecclesiastes uh, 4, 9 and 10, it makes a statement, two, I like this, are better than one. Doesn't that sound like where two more uh, uh, agree? Uh, in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. That's a, that's a powerful statement. Uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. He hath not anyone to help him up. Uh, notice that the, the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, song, uh, was, this would be Solomon. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, said, everybody needs somebody. Even in Genesis, we can use that term specifically for marriage, but you can use it just for this design. This is close. Everybody was designed with the capacity to give love, and everybody was designed with the capacity to receive love. If, if, if all you do is pursue somebody to love you, but you do not love others, then, then, uh, then you're not functioning in the highest capacity. The, the way we function is we are capable, and therefore we should receive love, and be willing to, uh, to do that. And then number two is realize this. You should give love. And here's, here's it is. Here, here's very important. Anytime you release love. Anytime you open up. Anytime you, you get into that arena. You run the risk of getting hurt. And uh, you run the risk of being betrayed. And, and, and I, use, I use that word because of this. Uh, is because a, a stranger cannot betray you. Because you don't know them. Only a friend can betray you. You know, the scripture makes reference to it. I want to expound on a little bit on, on, uh, on uh, a Sunday, uh, if I may. And, and that is so important that we look at, especially in today's realm. And, and understanding back there in those days, they had no social media. No social media. And Solomon says, if you desire many friends, you are afflicting your own soul with disaster. See, if you, you don't need a million friends. You just need a few right ones. Four friends, not a million. Four friends got a man to Jesus and beat all the odds of everything that was going on. And what was very interesting is that he was the only one that got the attention of Jesus that stopped the teaching and got a result from the teaching. Because of four friends. And the way he, he delivered that. Two are better than one. Genesis tells us this. It's not good that man be alone. I know he's got, a, uh, he's, he's called that an elephant. He's got that a giraffe over there. And dog is not his best friend. I got to change that. And so I know he'll think it is, but it's not. I got to give him somebody in his class. And somebody in my class. So I will create that. And so, he, so this is important that we need friendships. Everybody needs friendships. 
And any time that you uh, have a friendship, what you're doing is entering into somebody else's room where they visit with God. Their whole life is a, is a, is a, is a journey of entries and exits. Everything, everything you've done. When Joanne and I married, I exited a single life and so did she. And we entered a married life. And that became our journey. When we had our first child, Joel, uh, and he just had his birthday today. So when he, when he just, when he just uh, his, uh, his birth changed us from being married to becoming a parent. She became a mother. I be, she received the title of motherhood. I received the title of fatherhood. That was an exit from one realm to another. And then even when uh, Brent was born, that put us into another room. Now we're parents. Now we're, we've multiplied the capacity of it. And then when my grandson came, he made us grand. And so we're, it's a whole different arena where you get to spoil them, do anything you want with them, and send them home. And, and, uh, and, and, yeah. and uh, that, that's what you get to do. Praise God for it. It's a whole different world. When you buy them stuff and do things, and, they, and the parent looks at you like, why did you do that? Because I can and go home. And so two, two, two are better than one. And uh, because they have a good reward for their labor. One translation says this, uh, that uh, it's, it puts it this way. The reason that two are better than one is because, it puts it this way, two are more profitable. In the, uh, in the Hebrew, uh, uh, Talmud, it makes this statement is in this verse of Scripture. It says, uh, be two better than one. It says, uh, one... If a man has only a right hand and not a left hand, then he's missing in life. And so he's making reference of that a friend is like another hand to you. Then in the verse 10, he says, why? Because if they fall, that other hand can pick you up. Because whether you realize or not, sometime in your life, you're going to need somebody else's hand. Somebody who has another area of body of knowledge you don't have that can move you to another higher realm. And, and, uh, and so if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that's alone. When he falls, he has not another to help him. That's a sad situation to be in. Uh, and, and friendship then, if we're going to deal with friendship, and, and we are, if we don't have great exchange and great friendships, and here's what we got to have. Friendship is made up of two, two power words. Number one, love. Love. And number two, respect. Love and respect. And, and so, uh, you know, when we come in here, uh, we have um, uh, a scenario uh, here where we come in and we respect the fact that we're, we're renting here. We have a contractual agreement with this facility that we're using. But at the same time, uh, we don't take advantage of it and destroy the walls and do all that. Well, during my time here, I can do whatever I want. I make a wall paint on the walls and do it. I can't tip over chairs, throw stuff on the floor, spill. No, it's called respect. It's called respect. Why, why do we respect? The number one thing is that if, if you learn to love you, then you won't have a hard time loving others. Hurting people, there's an old statement that said, hurting people hurt other people. Hatred, ha- hatred is a confused life. Loving removes the confusion and gives clarity. So when you have a friend... You expose who you are to that person, and they love you anyway. That's what Jesus did. Paul made the statement. I'm always uh, intrigued by his statement. He said, you know that I never did anybody any wrong. I never hurt one person. 
Yet he writes in his testimony, he said, I killed Christians, I imprisoned people, I separated fathers from their children, mothers from the children, I separated them and, and tortured them, I beat them. He was the one that used to bring them in and have them killed. He, would, he said, I did all this. And then, and then later on he says, but I didn't hurt anybody. And the reason he made that statement was he acknowledged what he did, but he believed in his salvation to such an extent that past will not be married to my future. If God has released me and has taken what I've done from my past and separated as far as east is from the west, and it's still moving that direction away from me, my past, then I cannot marry it to my future. I cannot have it coexist. Your past and your future cannot coexist because it will hinder now faith. And so in friendships, we bring in friendships, it's made of both love and then in both respect. And here's the defining factor. Love is finding somebody desirable. When they went out and saw the homeless and, are, and they went out and ministered, do you know what they were doing? They were saying, maybe somebody else walked by you. We're not walking by you. We see you. Maybe, maybe you thought nobody saw you. We see you. When you notice somebody who doesn't seem to be noticed, they don't maybe have what you have or dress how you dress or, or have the capacity to, to go where you can go, even to go eat a hamburger. And they, you say, we're going to go get a hamburger. Would you like to go? And they look at you with a blank look like, I really want to go with you, but I don't have the $2. To even buy a hamburger, not even a hamburger or a Coke, maybe, or maybe I'll go and just get a soft drink. I got, an, and they're, they're giving you that look of, I really want to be with you, but something's preventing me. That's where desirability comes in, because if you want to be a friend, look at them beyond the invitation. Right. Do you know that the Bible said that God gave to Moses, gave him uh, when he came down, he came down with what, ten what? Ten Commandments. Not ten invitations. They were not invitations. If you send out an invitation, that means you have a choice to either say yes or no. It's your choice now. And nothing matters if you say no. Because it's an invitation. But if it's a command, then the command is not optional. There's no option. You must do this. Amen? If a policeman is following somebody and says, pull over, that's not an invitation. <laughs> Sirens are going, speakers on, uh, pull over to the right. That's not an invitation. That is not even a suggestion. That is a command. That's a command. So when God gives command and says to love one another, and, and you break it down and throughout the Old Testament, there are over 3,000. Uh, uh, over over, uh, uh, over 3,000 commands in the book of Leviticus, if you study them all. There's even a command back in their day that even tells them, listen, if you're going to, when you go into the water and if you're going to urinate, urinate downstream so it's not going into the people while they're washing their clothes. There's a law for that. There, there were laws given. You think it would be common sense. But, 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 but you have to give a law for the certain thing. Because, as I've oftentimes said, common sense is not that common. So, so you've got to give instruction. So you give command. Over 3,000 of them. Jesus comes along and he says, uh, and, and well, later on we find out that ten, they were com, uh, condensed into 10. Then Jesus comes and he says, a new commandment I give. He says, a new commandment. And there are these. Love the Lord your God with all your might, all your soul. And then 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those two. If you do those two, you fulfill the ten. And by fulfilling the ten, you don't even have to memorize the, the three thousand or so, because you'll be doing them all in the ten by fulfilling the two. And you start by loving God. You will never be, be res- love somebody or respect somebody to the degree unless you love God first. God will teach you how to love. God will teach you how to love. And he, you know, that, that's why it's so important. My, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, uh, is, I have a lot of verses I like, but Acts 1-1. Former treats have I made, O Theophilus, former letter have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know, I, one of the things, I, I keep getting revelation off that one verse. And it's so interesting to me that Luke had a friend who was not a believer. But Luke wanted him so much to understand who God was, but he understood that he was a philosopher. And he had more reason about him, so he, you had to come to him rationally and explain everything. So the book of Luke and the book of Acts was written so that an explanation could be given to his friend, Theophilus. So that at the end, Theophilus could accept Jesus Christ. He, we have Luke and we have Acts because Luke was trying to win a friend. And he said, and then Paul, we know that we know that Paul had Timothy. I have nobody like minded but like Timothy, who knows me. So a friendship is made of love is finding somebody desirable. When you become a friend of somebody, it's because you desire more for them than you have for yourself. And if you, if you do that, then you'll intercede for them. And when something good happens for them, you get excited with them. You're the first person they call. Hey, let me tell you what happened. Praise God, that happened. They, they ought to be looking for you. But you've got to make yourself. The scripture said, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. So, so be friendly. Put a smile on your face. You know, many years ago, I remember hearing the, the, uh, the, the training that they did. I don't know if they still do it that way. Uh, but there was uh, 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 weeks, I think a few weeks of training that they would do to teach at Disneyland uh, how to handshake, how to smile, how to even uh, direct somebody if they were looking for a certain theme. Uh, part of a ride or a restroom or a, a restaurant or something and they would never use their finger most of the world if you point this way you are uh, cussing it's just the same as using any of the middle finger you can't you can't point uh, and most most uh, most nations don't do this to call somebody they they do this this is what they do we do this sometimes to shoot people away most of the world does this to call them Am I right? I mean, the United States, we do things, and we don't realize some of the things that we do. So, uh, so uh, uh, when you find somebody desirable, you, you, you want to know how you can help improve them. Yeah. What can I do for you? Not what you can do for me. What can I do for you? What, what can I help you with? And you're not trying to buy friendship. What you're doing is just saying, I care that much. I want to know. So, friendship. Uh, respect. What's respect? Respect is finding somebody necessary. Everybody wants two things. They want to know that they're wanted. They also want to know that they're needed. But they want to know that they have both coming at them from you. You not only need me, you want me. You not only want me, you need me. You're needed here. You're wanted here. Amen? Amen? Uh, 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 you have a, you can have somebody, uh, a husband, married. And I remember one time I did a, uh, uh, um, um, a marriage thing at a, up at Big Bear, 
And I was talking to one of the gentlemen. Actually, it was the same meeting that I did this. I started off. I was uh, the guest for this Ben's uh, particular. It wasn't mine. Our Ben went, but I was one of the speakers. And I got up and I said, uh, how many of you left homes and didn't say anything to your wives? And you were mad when you left. Oh, I had quite a few hands go up. I anticipated ahead of time. I brought a bunch of quarters with me. At that time, we still used pay phones. Nobody had a cell phone. I said, okay, there's two pay phones out there. I gave everybody quarters. I said, call your wife, apologize, and tell her how much you love her. And then tell her why you love her, not that you just you love her. Tell her why. Most people say, I love you, but can't tell you why. They won't tell you why. They won't, they, 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 they'll come back at you with, well, back at you, man. And, and, and oftentimes we're, we're never told when we were growing up. My generation, you had to know you were loved, but you didn't hear it that often. You, you didn't hear it on a regular basis. Jesse was talking about that when we were with him the other day. He said, he said he didn't tell his wife Kathy that he loved her until after five years of marriage. And, and he said he never hugged his mother because his father and grandfather said, we're men, and in this house, you don't hug. So don't hug your mother. It's a sign of weakness. So he said he only hugged his, his mom once in his whole life. Only one time. And that, was, and that was that time. And he was eight years old when he did it. And his, dad, and his grandpa said, don't do that. And they pulled him aside and said, told all the men, he said, you're a man. He said, men don't hug. It's a sign of weakness. Men don't cry. It's a sign of weakness. When he got married and, and Kathy was pregnant, he was told, don't you ever push that baby carriage. That's a woman's job, not a man's job. That's what he was told. He, and he, was, he said, I don't, I, I, it took me a long time to learn how to hold hands. Our generation grew up with the fact that we were loved, but we never told we were loved. And then we came into a relationship where we said it all the time. And we, you know, uh, I used to see in the morning, not because they did it in front of me on purpose, but I would see my dad go in the kitchen, give my mother a kiss, and she'd come out. They'd give a kiss before he'd go to work, come back. But they never showed any sign of affection publicly in front of us at all, nothing. Not that they knew that we were watching. Uh, uh, so when I got married, uh, I would pick you know, the boys. They'd, I'd grab them, pull them close, and I'd kiss Joanne. they go, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then, they, but they, then they'd squeeze in front of us. They liked it because there was security. There was security. Whether they liked it or not, whether they thought it was weird or not, or gross or not, it, we, we loved each other. And I would tell them, your mother's the most prettiest woman in all the world. I was training them. And see, when you do that, you, you begin to find out the compassionate level, the, the level of what you need to do. Find somebody necessary. So, so respect is finding somebody, someone necessary. Finding out their gifts and talents. And not manipulating their talent for your benefit, but rather just discovering it. Just find out what's going on. Great relationships require closeness. So friendship with one wrong person can destroy you forever. Because you open up to somebody and then they go tell everybody else your flaw or your weakness or what you did. And then before you know it, it's everywhere. Especially today, social media, you know, they'll tell everybody everything. They'll, they'll record you at the table while you're talking to them. They, you know, they'll, you know, they'll do all kinds of different ways of, of describing it. But relationship, great relationships will require closeness. You have to be close. And then, so a friendship with one wrong person, just one, can destroy you. All Samson needed was one was one woman. And he knew that she was trying to get him. And she, and, she, she was, and she was being maneuvered, manipulated by the enemy. 
And, and, and he knew it. That's the thing. What's, give, me, give me information about what makes you so strong. How do you get so strong? And then they so, well, you can tie me up with a brand new rope. So they went and got a brand new rope. How did they know? Why didn't he think, okay, well, how come you got me tied up with a brand new rope? And I could break that thing simply. Oh, it's any chains. You give me with a chain. You can do it that way. And he broke the chains. But then finally, in his moment of weakness and, 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 and not thinking straight, just one wrong person. Well, I have, my mother and father made a covenant with God. And I'll never cut my hair. And it's in my hair. And so they, they came in and he, they shaved his hair and, uh, it, and he lost his power. And, and the reason was, is was it because it was length in hair? Because, you know, when I was growing up in high school, I had long hair. I couldn't lift a pole and uh, I couldn't, you know, run through a, a fence and do that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that, so long hair didn't do it to me. Uh, so, but it was the parents who made a covenant with God and the sign of that covenant was the hair. So that's where the anointing was at that time. So the parents made an agreement. And, and so when they, when they made that vow unto God, and that the commitment was to God, it was a vow to God. Here's my son. And that's where we get the term dedicate. Why do you think we dedicate children? It's not just a religious thing we do. What you're doing is committing your children to God and putting them under a covenant. You see, I, my, uh, my wife and I are in covenant. This is a relationship. We have a friendship that's in covenant, and we, we're not going to break this covenant. A friendship and marriage. But it started off with friendship. Now, this is close. It's very important. Uh, my sons, Joel and Brent, were under the umbrella of this covenant until they got old enough to move out. When they moved out, they moved out under their own covenant living. That's why you train them up in the way they should go. Now, how they live when they're out there, the seed is in them. How they choose to live does not affect this covenant. But this covenant can affect them. We can still pray them in. They can't pray us out. So therefore, keeping this in mind, this is very important. I chose her. She chose me. They did not choose us as parents. But we did choose to have two children. That was our choice. So they're our choice. And since they're our choice, choose you this day which way you're going to go. Choose this day. So we choose, and we chose right, and we chose the Word, and we kept putting the Word on the inside of them. That means two, two individuals. So we became close. Closeness. The closeness of relationship. So friendship with one wrong person can destroy you forever. It can destroy you, or it can bless you forever. Uh, I, heard, I heard a minister make this powerful statement. When God wants to bless you, He puts a person in your life. When God wants to bless you, He'll put a person in your life. Uh, and He said, when Satan wants to destroy you, He puts a person in your life. So you gotta, you, you've, got to, you've got to notice who's coming and going from your life. Entering a room and seeing somebody... Well-dressed uh, does not necessarily mean a whole lot uh, because they went in and they said, there's a king in this household. We got to anoint him. I've been sent from God to anoint him. And so they went to the strongest, the good looking. And, and they said uh, that nobody here fits the description of a king that I've been called to anoint. You have anybody else? Well, I got this little, my youngest son way out in the field. Go get him. That's him. They anointed him uh, to be the king. And so when, so when God wants to bless you, he'll put a person in your life. 
And that person that comes into your life will, will build you up, strengthen you, walk with you in life, and never discourage you. When you are discouraged, we'll turn it around. And, and if you need somebody to cry with, they'll cry with you without, without uh, her, blaming you, hurting you. If you just sit and stare with them, that's exactly what you do. You just do what you've got to do. You, you're friendly. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1. I'm going to read this out of the message translation, and uh, you'll see that up on the, on the screen. And uh, 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 David, David uh, had already, by this time, had already slain um, a Goliath. But when David went to go uh, take lunch to his brothers in war, his oldest brother, the scripture tells us, got very angry at him. Was very upset at him in the 17th chapter. Very, very, uh, uh, very upset, First Samuel 17. And he went up to him and he said, why are you here? Why, why did you leave the sheep? You're a little boy, basically. You have no business to be here. And so he, and the scripture said he was angry with them and he yelled at them. You, you ever have, ever have... Uh, you're in your walk of faith and you're doing something and a family member yell at you. Somebody didn't like it. Somebody didn't like what you're doing, they yell at you. And uh, so, um, I remember one time, my, my, one of my brothers, uh, you know, um, uh, had said something and Joanne and I were talking and we had just saw the movie Thief in the Night. Uh, probably about the third time. And, uh, and so, we were, the rapture was on our minds and so Joanne says, you know, uh, we're trying to help you. We love you. We want you to go to heaven because we don't want you to miss the rapture. He just said, he goes, I don't know what the word rapture is, but I can say words you don't understand either. Well, he didn't understand rapture. <laughs> we didn't understand it either. But we just, both of us thought, that's a good answer. I, I thought, Joanne, you got him. That's a good answer. We don't, we don't want him to miss the rapture. But we didn't realize he didn't understand the rapture. And most people today don't understand the rapture. They consider the rapture the second coming, or the second coming of the rapture, and the two totally different things. And some people think the rapture already happened. There's some individuals that do believe that. So, none of the we're not on that subject. Look at this. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. And an immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. Now, this is, this is Jonathan, the son of the king. David just killed... Goliath. And he did it and defended Israel and he comes in and the town is in an uproar. Jonathan is witness to this and Jonathan, the son of the king, looks at him and this is the word, this is the terminology. And, and he was, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David and immediately was, a bond was forged between them. He became, Jonathan became totally committed to David. Wait a minute. He's not of royalty. He, he was a warrior who wasn't even supposed to be there, and he killed a giant. And when he finds out and comes in, he says, Man, when I heard the whole story, you're, I hear it, I see it, there's greatness on you, I commit to you. And the Bible said, and this is what it said, from that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Amen. What, what, you can spot a friend is because they promote you. They do not demote you. A friend will stand up with you even when you're not there. A friend will be will voice will voice their their applause. Praise God for you. Thank God for what you did. Amen. This is vitally important that we that we understand this. 
that, that we get a hold of this. Joanne's mother, oftentimes, you know, uh, she would we'd go to her house, and it happened more than, I'm not saying it happened every day or every week or every month, but it happened quite a bit. It was, it, it was, uh, a not, it was uh, at first it was a rare moment, but then it was just uh, interesting. She would talk to people and tell them about her and myself, and we would come over and we'd say you were coming, and they would have somebody who needed healing in the house. And her mother, who never came to, came to the church when she did, she, occasionally she would come. And she sat, and then she would say, this is my son-in-law, this is my daughter. They're going to pray for you, and you're going to get healed, walk out of this house healed. And then she'd go sit in the kitchen. She wouldn't even stay in the room. And I said, Betty, aren't you going to stay? She goes, no, you guys take care of this. You guys know what to do. Yeah, I'll be over here. She said, I already told them all about how many people got healed before. She was giving testimony of healing. She was my advocate. She was my advocate. Uh, it was a, it's a, it was a, an interesting uh, uh, relationship that, that we all had with her. But from this point, I like this David. I like it in this translation. They need to put it, David. From that point, he would become David's number one. I like that. I like how Brother Jesse Pass says. You know, the Bible says it, it takes two, two or three to agree. And Jesse said, "I'll be your two. That the church had T-shirts that said. I'll be your two. And uh, all the ushers came to church after he said that, and everybody had T-shirts, and they were lime green with the number that said, "I'll be your and number that number two. And then, it, and then it, on the back of it said, "Prayer of Agreement." Had the verse. They heard him, and it was almost like, "Oh, if I could have a drink of water." And somebody went out and bought T-shirts for everybody and did that, and they walked around the church with the, with those T-shirts. And Jesse was just shocked. Are you, they, man, they heard that and they said. I'll be your two. So when they see it, I'll be your number two. They're reading it. I'll be your two. I'll be your two. And other people didn't have the shirts. We're going, how do we get that shirt? It, it only took by the next week for almost the whole congregation to have a number two. I'll be your two. So what was everybody doing? Reading the shirt. I'll be your two. I'll be your two. Before you know it, they're all in agreement. What do you need me to agree with you about? It prompted prayer of agreement. It, it caused people to cross the aisles and they hadn't talked for. Hey, I like your shirt. Then people start getting different colors. I'll be different. I mean, it's just it just spread because of one thing. So it's I'll be your number one is the is the is the statement here and how we understand this. And so I'll be your friend. There are three types of friendships, and this is very important that you understand this in Scripture. You'll find this. You see this in David's life. Uh, you'll see this as as it pans out here. The three types of friendships. Number one is common friendships. What is that? Well, uh, this can be defined as individuals who have similar interests, uh, similar goals, or similar purposes. And for that reason, they're united together. Uh, if you have individuals that, uh, say for instance, that really, um, um, uh, say for instance, they're really into golfing, they talk golfing. They, they, can, they can deal with all, all the, they, they talk golfing, they talk uh, what, what what golf courses they've gone to, where they've been. They talk that. If they talk, there's tennis, the same thing. Baseball, the same thing. They have a common interest. So that common interest pulls them together. And so they're common friendships. This is defined as individuals who have similar interests or goals or purpose. I remember one time, uh, Steve was really interesting. A man brought another man to our church. We were and uh, years back. This is years. It's got to be over 15 years ago. And uh, he brought this, his friend, from work. And this man that he brought from work was Mormon. And he sat in our service. 
and listened to me minister. And he says, he said, you know, and he said, can I talk with you? When it came into my office. And so we talked and, and uh, he said, uh, he brought me to church and it was really good. I, he used the word talk. It was a really good talk. And uh, he said, I like, you use a lot of scripture. You define things. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. And he says, but he said, I told him I would come on one condition. He comes to my church. So he's going to come to my church next week. And I said, oh, okay. That's your guys' agreement. Fine. And he said, here's, here's what's going to happen. And he said, so what? And he said, I, I already knew this. I'm telling you, telling you. I told him the reason that I have, I don't feel any threat of going to your church. It wasn't about you being the preacher. Is that I knew nobody would talk to me. Because the average Christian church will not talk to anybody they don't know. So if they're new, they'll, they might look at them, shake their hand, and walk another way, and sit in their favorite chair. And so he goes, I, I was under no threat. And that's exactly what happened. Now, and then he, he looked at the gentleman that was with us and, and, and from our church, and he said, now I know, uh, he goes, do you know what he likes to play? kind of sport he likes to play. I said, well, I know that he used to play baseball, but I know he's into racquetball right now. He plays a lot of racquetball. And he's a good tennis player. He goes, exactly. I've got three guys who play racquetball. So when he comes to the church, those three friends are already cued to talk with him and talk to him about racquetball. I got three other friends that play tennis. They're going to be talking about tennis and talking about that. We're all going to take him to eat and we're paying for him to go out to eat. And he goes, our goal is that by the following week to get him on the racquetball court and by the end, by the end of the month, the racquetball court and the tennis court. And we will do all that. And he said, because our goal is to be friendly and know their interests. That's why I said it takes love and it takes respect. And to me, it takes being desirable and you've got to take to know each other. See, there are people that love you but aren't interested in you. Yeah, it's, tr- it's so true. There are people that love you, but they're not interested in you. They're more interested in what they're doing than what you're doing. But they love you. We, we all have family members that say they love us, but they're not interested in us. It's, it's just reality. Jesus had family members, and he was preaching, and they came and got him after a meeting, and he said, well... Who's my mother and who's my brothers? But these are I'm preaching to. How come they weren't in the meeting? How, did, how come they weren't? It wasn't like they had special seating. But uh, why weren't they in the meeting already? So uh, friendship, common friendship. This is defined by individuals who have similar interests, goals, and purpose. And all kinds of interests. They go to work. Uh, they find somebody. If they find them with a, a, a certain desire, they, that's where they go. And this is a very important one to understand. A cunning friendship. And what I mean by that is that's when a, a close bond occurs or it's born out of hidden agenda. Somebody wants to know you because they know that you are, uh, they're treating you like a source instead instead of a person. Uh, and, and so uh, we have to recognize that if somebody understands your gift and talent, they'll use, utilize it to use you as a stepping stone to get somewhere else and then, and then leave you. So recognize that people will enter your life and people will come into your life and leave your life. So when something's finished, it's finished. When something's finished, it's finished. Let it go. A covenant commitment friendship. That's what we're talking about. Now, this is what David and Jonathan had. This type of friendship promotes uh, a purposeful relationship which helps you you in keeping your God-given promises. 
See, so if somebody's interested, where are you headed with your life? Where's your goal? Where's your future? What are you doing now? You know what a friend will do if you tell them God told me something? You know what they'll do? They'll challenge you. Are you what steps are you taking to fulfill it? What, who are you praying? What books are you reading? What seminars are you going to? I always, I oftentimes uh, ask ministers that when they call me, talk to me, I just had one that called me the other day, and we were talking about some things, and I said, what, what conferences or conventions do you go to that, you, that, that, uh, that if you're not speaking at, uh, you will just go sit in and learn? He goes, I never do that. And I said, then the biggest voice is yours. And I said, and others have information that you need to hear. Do you download anything to listen to any message? He goes, no, no. I won't get confused. I said, you're already confused. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, you want your congregation to show up, uh, and yet you don't want to sit anybody in or anybody else and get get. That's why when Brother Jesse was here, who my ordaining factor, who I'm ordained by, that's why I went to Marietta to go see him. Then had the privilege of flying with him uh, to uh, Bakersfield, and then flew back, and then we went out to Eastvale and saw him in Eastvale, and so uh, and, and uh, so Wednesday night. That's why we weren't here last Wednesday because we were with Brother Jesse, because I took the time to be with the man of God who I believe is speaking in my life, and uh, and so uh, you know he uh, he did some things and you know he shared here's some DVDs and here's some books and kind of thing. So I I. I I know the gentleman who runs this book table, Roy. I said, we was walking by it the first time. I said, Roy, give me all that stuff. Put it aside, all that brand new stuff. I want to buy it all. And they go, here's my card. So I gave my card. And then when he came back, he goes, oh, we got the Christmas book. We got the Christmas book right here. Here's the Christmas book. And he wrote a book about Christmas. And so, uh, and I didn't know how many they had. They only had seven copies. I got them all that night. So nobody else got any. I don't feel bad about it at all. I got them all, and uh, and so I I, I, bought, I bought what he had. Why? Because uh, good leaders and good feeders are good readers, and they read after the quality and character of the individual that you want to, that you're sitting under. So since he's the draining factor, I'm sitting under that anointing and gravitate to that. Purposeful relationship helps you keeping God's promises. I want to keep God's promises, but I need relationships around me that'll help me keep that way. Joanne keeps me, she, she defines me, she refines me, and she confines me. She keeps me on track. So she, she defines me. If you look at Joanne and the reason that I'm where I'm at, one of the reasons I'm at where I'm at is because of her. She helped me define myself. When I was flipping pizzas and learned how to do that, she was uh, uh, very grateful that I had a job. And she said, she looked at me one night and she said, I appreciate the fact you're working, that's really good, you know. But you could do better than that. I believe in you. And so she, so she was the one who said, you should do, maybe go look for another job and get to keep this one. Don't quit this one, but just see what you find. And so I ended up going and making, I, I know this may be a little scary thought. I worked a machine where we made uh, solenoids for airplane landing gear. And I ran a machine that made that. that that's the, so, so uh, and I prayed over, uh, uh, so I was born again. And, uh, Omega solenoid, City of La Mirada. I only worked there six months. Old. My hair got caught in the machine and it yanked out. And so, so, but it only happened one time. <laughs> All my hair got yanked out. And so, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole different story. <laughs> but in, 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 in doing that, from there, I got my job at Laura Scudder's. 
And, uh, so, and she kept promoting me. First meeting I went to, you got to go to that meeting. She met Betty Price, introduced me to Fred Price. She, she got me connected to Mark Barkley. She knew Gloria Copeland before I, when I met Kenneth Copeland. Uh, she had met Daisy Osborne before I met Taylor Osborne. Uh, you know, so she introduced me to all these people. She defined me, she refined me, and then confined me. Stay there. Stay the course. Fulfill it. So she's enabled, she's been like the Holy Ghost, my, my enabler. She's been my enabler. Some people enable people in the wrong way. She enabled me in the right way. Stay with the word. Last statement is this. A profitable relationship which will enable you and those around you to increase. When you get around those that are increasing, they want you to increase too. And they'll, and they'll share with you what they know about increase and how they're increasing. And they'll bless you. And, and, uh, and some people can't handle increase. They don't know how to do, deal with increase. They don't know how, how to deal with it. But when you're, when you're profitable... When you sit, sit around the profitable individuals and you learn from them and you grow from them. See, a person in your life may be a, a season, is, could be a day. A season could be a week. A season could be a few years. But whatever that season is, cherish it. Uh, I thank God for it. And then when that season, whatever, however it comes to an end, and whether it, it's something that's mutual and doors go out, don't slam the doors. Joanne and I always have a statement, we never burn bridges. And uh, we don't burn them from our side. If a person, if person burns a bridge from that side coming this way, our side's still intact. That, and so we, you've got to stay open. Because you never know who's going to call you or when they're going to call you. And you never know how things are going to go. Friendships are very important. Four friends ripped a roof apart and beat the odds. And the friend went home. Friendships are so important to us. And so this is, this is uh, uh, a simple teaching uh, for you on friendships and how we do this, but you're needing friends. And friends are, are what keep us glued together, the cohesiveness. In the book of Ephesians, we're given this instruction. We're given this command. We're, giving, we're given a, an, a way to live. And that is this. It makes a statement. It says uh, that we are supposed to be bound together in the spirit of unity and peace. So what puts us together is the unity of the spirit. Not unity. Unity in the Spirit. Let's keep the Spirit of God in front of us at all times. Then we can stay united. That's our purpose right there. So let's take the common ground. We have some wonderful... We just saw... Uh, uh, if you saw the Super Bowl, all those players who were out there were all phenomenal. They were all great. Every one of them were great. What a, what a sport that is. And what, to, to watch that. Millions watch that. Millions watch that. But you know what they watched? was a team. Although the camera showed one individual and they showed their records, they could not have done it without the team. If nobody blocked, just imagine if, all, if they, when the ball was snapped and, and all the defense team just folded their arms and stood up and blocked nobody. There would have never been one pass. There would have been no not run, one run if it wasn't for teams. So the body of Christ, we're the body. Something's going to happen if my heart stops, my lungs stop, if I lose a lung, kidney, fingers, you, you, something will go wrong. So you'll notice it. We're all members. Fitly joined together, the scripture said. Well, if we're fitly joined together, then we fit. And if we fit, let's not break what fits. God put us together. So what I've got to learn is my uniqueness and your uniqueness and our uniqueness and grow with that.
This is this is how we flourish in God. This is how we do this. Amen. Praise God. I believe you got something out of this today. This this element of friendship is so important. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe. To experience more of Heritage, visit us at www.heritageff.org. Again, thank you for listening to the Heritage Podcast today. And remember, Jesus is Lord.